0: Good morning. How we doing, church? Can you hear me okay? All right. So glad we are together. May God be glorified in our worship this day. And uh, it's potluck day, people. And uh, in my own little way to celebrate I wore a shirt covered in hot dogs today. <clears throat> All right, we're continuing in First Corinthians, and we have a lot of ground to cover today, but uh, we need to backtrack just a little bit to try to remember some of the things that we looked at last week. Paul three times is very quick to remind us uh, to not be so quick to throw away our circumstances or our situation uh. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So, Paul is telling us, don't be so quick to throw away your current situation for another. And uh, that forces us, in a sense, to rethink the reality of our circumstances and hold them differently. Maybe uh, look around and try to figure out, how is the Lord using this circumstance of life now to challenge me, to mold me? Paul's overarching concern is that we live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned. See, the situation is not what is to be uh, the most important thing. It is living as a believer in your real-life circumstances and situations. It's obedience that counts. It's God's call through Jesus Christ that counts. And you don't have to wait for the perfect life circumstances before turning to him wholeheartedly and completely. Just live for God now in your imperfect circumstances, sometimes even messy circumstances, an imperfect reality and life. See, when we get into situations that we find hard or restricting, we tend to run as quickly as we can from those circumstances. But when we stop running to face those circumstances, when we learn to stare our demons down... Difficult as that may be, uh, this is a time when God can do some amazing transforming work. He forges our character. Uh, Not not that he can't do that in times of ease and comfort, but it's a different kind of work. And the harder and deeper work come in times of of difficulty. Uh, Your life situation is secondary to the fact that God has called you and he has paid a price for you that is to what is what remains dominant over your circumstances. And we got to keep in mind whatever your circumstances are, no matter how wonderful, no matter how horrible, you are not beyond the reach of God. God is there. He is working. Look for him. Ask for him. Ask for his help in your circumstances. So now in the rest of chapter 7, Paul is wrapping up a discussion on marriage and singleness. Specifically today, he is addressing those who are engaged to be married, and he says a word at the end about uh, widows as well. And he carries the same mindset forward as in the first part of the chapter, don't be so rash in throwing away your current circumstances. Single, married, Uh, But be thoughtful about the decisions you make, and choose freely based on the gifts that you have from the Lord. As much as it depends on you, choose the life situation that is going to allow you to serve Jesus Christ the best. That's what Paul is saying. Now about virgins... I have no command from the Lord, but I give a a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So I have no command from the Lord simply means that Jesus did not previously address this specific circumstance uh, of someone who is engaged to be married. Uh, But now Paul addresses this as one who is trustworthy. Um, so what is the present crisis? Well, uh, in this passage, there are eschatological undertones uh, in Paul's writing. We are a people who are living in the last days. Uh, the cross has happened, Jesus has triumphed, and we are waiting for the culmination of everything that he has accomplished for us, and, uh, marked by his, uh, the second coming or his return. Uh, And Paul very much has, I think, this in mind when he says in verse 31 that the world in its present form is passing away. It's not going to go on forever. There will be an end to the age we're living in at some point. So the spirit in which Paul is writing then is that the times are stressful, the times are difficult, we don't know how much longer we have, so make serving the Lord the priority over your circumstances. But there may be more going on to this present crisis than just a eschatological understanding, because Paul never actually mentions the second coming in this passage. Uh, there's evidence that there was a particularly bad famine in the Roman Empire in the year 51 A.D., Uh, that included riots, social upheaval, displaced people, dislocated from their homes, moving around the empire, trying to find a place that had food and resources to take care of their families. And so Paul and the Corinthians would be very aware of the strain of this present crisis. So it could be that Paul is also recommending that you just may want to let the dust settle a bit before you go jumping into your next big life circumstance. You can also read the passage that way. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Paul is clearly saying that Marriage is not the be-all, end-all, fix-all for every life situation. And marriage comes with its own set of challenges. It's not always easy. Even those who do marriage well, and who've invested a lot in their marriage, and uh, the Lord has helped them, and it's become a real blessing, uh, no matter how good that circumstance is, there's always going to be troubles associated with that. There will always be challenges associated with that. Issues of the relationship with you and your spouse. Issues with the children. Um, No matter how good it is, one spouse is always going to end up burying the other spouse. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not at first glance, this might seem to be going against what Paul has already said about married couples in the first part of chapter 7, which in verse 5 says, do not deprive one another, do not deprive each other. So we need to look at the larger context to understand what Paul means by this. And I think it comes down to this understanding of the time is short. See, Paul is not advocating for celibacy. He's not recommending some kind of separation within the marriage he's just pointing out that the marriage does not last beyond this age. If you want to read about that, you can read in Luke chapter 20, verse 34 through 38. Uh, Marriage is an institution that is meant for this life, and it's not one that carries on into the age that comes. So your marriage, necessarily, it should not be a priority over the call of God and service to him. Does that make sense? I think that's what Paul is getting at. Rather, your marriage should be making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Your marriage should be something that you enjoy. Enjoy it. Enjoy the togetherness with your partner. But do that in the right kind of spirit, holding that this is not something that is going to last forever. This is not permanent. This is something to be used now and leveraged for the glory of God. Let me just read this whole passage here to help you get the bigger context. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Are you hearing me, Americans. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. So Paul is giving us illustrations of things that human life can be engrossed by. These are things that if you're not careful, you can make your life all about these things. first one is marriage. The second one has to do with a spectrum that goes all the way from mourning all the way to living the party life dream, just seeking happiness everywhere you can. And the third section has to do with the stuff, purchasing, accumulating, hoarding our business dealings, So let me say a word about each of these uh, sections. Marriage is such, I think it's such a wonderful thing, and there are many wonderful things uh, that I enjoyed when um, I lived in Tennessee, part of the Bible Belt, and uh, some things were a lot easier, some things were more difficult. And one of the things that was a difficulty for me uh, was the exclusivity of the of the Southern family, Uh, big, multi-generational families uh, that became a world unto themselves. And there was a lot of strength there, but there were also some challenges there. I don't think of anyone who I know who are in these kind of tight-knit family situations. No one was mean-spirited about this, uh, but these... Uh, relationships, in a way, became so insular that whole families were largely closed off and blind to outsiders, strangers, and people who were just not from around here. You just constantly choose what is comfortable with the people you're most comfortable with, and not opening your life and your circumstances and your marriage to include others. I'm not talking about open marriage. That's another gross thing of this culture. But sharing of life. Your marriage should not be something that closes you off from ministry to other people, of sharing Christ with other people. Instead, use your marriage, leverage your marriage and your family situation for the good of the kingdom of God. A tight-knit family is a blessing for the Lord. But are you leveraging your position for the purposes of God? Or is your marriage largely self-serving? When it all comes down to, hey, this is me and my wife and my marriage, and when it all becomes about the kids and the world of our children And it all becomes about this amazing life we're living and these amazing circumstances that are so easy to uh, create envy in others when I post about this, that, or the other. It can lead to a situation, if we're not careful, where we habitually put the things of God onto the back burner. Can you see that? That's what Paul is talking about. How about mourning and happiness? mourning, wallowing in sadness, fixating on the hardship and the loss and the depression, and giving into it to a point that you are constantly defeated and distracted from living the calling of the Lord in your present circumstances. Don't underestimate the good that the Lord Jesus Christ can accomplish for others because of your broken heart? Because of your difficult circumstances? Are you leveraging your pain to the purposes of serving our God? Well, how can you say that, Calvin? our modern understanding of the way counseling works and the process of grief, uh, mental health issues and that reality, our understanding of human psychology. How can you say that? And that's Paul's point, I think, exactly. Your circumstance, whatever that is, no matter how difficult and how painful, it does not give you an excuse to make it all about yourself. It doesn't. So the issue is not whether or not you've been diagnosed as manic depressive. The issue is whether or not you're going to be a manic depressive for Jesus. Are you going to be bipolar for Jesus? This this circumstance does not trump the reality of the call of Jesus Christ in your life the reality that the Holy Spirit is able to work through the difficulty of your circumstance. Even something as intensely painful and personal as mourning and grief. He will reach in through that if you let him. I'm not saying it fixes everything. I'm saying it can be used for good and redeemed in the power of the Holy Spirit well what about pleasure seeking and happiness even that is relativized by the call of God in your life enjoy happiness enjoy experiences enjoy time together with people you love enjoy your spouse enjoy your children To God be the glory. But there's also a reality that your happiness and you trying to constantly seek that happiness is not the biggest thing going on in the universe. Have you considered that? I have to remind myself of that sometimes because uh, I am the center of the universe. It's not all about your experiences, your pleasure, your comfort, your safety, your satisfaction. There are bigger things going on. And I think an irony about that uh, uh, mourning or rejoicing, this happiness, the irony is the with God life puts us in contact with the Savior whose heart is overflowing with peace and joy. The with God life is the greatest opportunity for happiness you or I have. Purchasing and business dealings. All of your business dealings, they're fleeting. Your best laid strategies, they will not last forever. Everything that you have accumulated in this life, you don't take it with you. And maybe it's going to even cause a lot of harm to those who are left fighting for those resources after you're gone. Your investments, careful strategies, best laid plans, they do not last. And this isn't Paul saying, don't have a retirement strategy. Don't be wise with saving. That's not what Paul is saying. But you need to hold all of these business dealings in a proper light. And let the joy of the Lord, let integrity character, let an ethic of hard work and honesty, let that come into all of your business dealings. And then we hold on to these things lightly. Are we using them for good? Are you leveraging your resources for the good of the kingdom of God? And then buying stuff, purchasing. I love purchasing. I have my things that I like to purchase. Uh, They're usually larger ticket items. So when my wife enjoys purchasing clothes and stuff like that, I don't have a lot of leverage to say a lot about that. She's got her own job and her own money, and she does her own things. And she can stretch a dollar. She gets that from her mama like nobody's business. It's fun to buy stuff. That new pair of shoes, that new jacket that makes you look so good, It feels good, Uh, the buying, the wearing, but you know that feeling doesn't last, does it? Your life needs to be about more than your stuff. You cannot let your stuff engross you. So a lot of you know that I'm a big Tesla fan. I'm coming out. That's... I'm not, it's not that I'm so pro Elon Musk or any, I just love the technology. I get that it's not perfect, but I really hope that they can make cars that drive themselves someday. And I really love the idea of a robot who can do my domestic chores for me. If they pull that off, I am just a fan of that. It's a kind of dreaming and vision that I find really uh, exciting. It's a kind of uh, hopeful vision of making things better in this world that I really, I think, spark. Uh, but the car that I'm really in love with, that really makes me drool, it's not a Tesla. It's a car being made by an EV startup called Aptera. Let me show you this puppy. This is their launch edition. If, it's, if everything falls into place, it is possible within a year and a half or so, there could be people driving stuff like this around. It's weirder than a cyber truck. Look at the way the doors open. It's like ears on a mouse or something. Well, it's covered in solar panels and the thing has such a low drag coefficient it slips through the air like an airplane. So just on the sun, it gets up to 40 miles of range a day. And since my daily commute is only about 10 miles, essentially, if I can park this vehicle outside and get a little bit of sun, (coughs) I never have to gas it up and I never have to plug it in. And that really appeals to my inner Scrooge. But you know what? This world in its present form is passing away. It might not ever happen. And I'm okay with that. And even if it did, I need to enjoy that in the right way. Share it. Leverage our resources and our stuff for the good of God. Do you see what Paul is saying? All of these life circumstances, leverage them for good. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. I wish that were always the case, because it doesn't automatically follow that a single person will be concerned about pleasing the Lord. Sometimes people are very selfishly single. Sometimes it takes marriage to move them out of selfishness. Maybe having kids moves you further out of your narcissism. But I think Paul is speaking to the potential here. If the Lord gets a, a hold of a single person's heart, because you do not have the commitments of marriage, you will be free to invest your time, your intimacy, and your resources in a way that those who have marriage obligations are not going to be as free or able to do as readily or easily. Paul is inviting us to keep our imagination open concerning the single life. And we need to hear that word, because we've kind of defaulted to the marriage, and married people are kind of the, the, the real big deal, especially when they have kids, and the children there, and the family, and That's important stuff, and it's good stuff. But Paul says, don't forget the possibilities of the single life to glorify God. A married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And an unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. You know what it's like, ladies, to be married to a husband. Sometimes those concerns of the husband, they take a whole lot of time and energy from you, don't they? There is great potential in the single life. Don't assume that marriage is necessarily the best answer for every situation. Then Paul goes and qualifies all of this. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the goal of all of this, whether marriage or married or single, family with kids or just a couple, whatever. Undivided devotion to the Lord is the goal. That is the thing that we hold out before us. (coughs) Keep in mind that Paul views married life or single life as circumstances that are enabled and enhanced by the grace gifts of God. God gives you a gift to be married or a gift to be single and you should choose in line with your gifts. But don't assume that marriage is the life hack that is going to suddenly make everything better. You get that? But Paul, at the same time, he's not restricting you. Rather, he's inviting you to consider the situation that is going to best allow you to live in undivided devotion. I married my wife because I had a vision that the ministry that we could do together as a couple would be greater than as if I were alone on my own. I was frothing at the mouth too, but that was behind everything as well. A lot of prayer and thought went into that. But for many people, and uh, Paul, maybe especially, the best situation for him to serve the Lord was as a single. He could not have lived the life that he lived to the glory of God and the great impact of changing the world if he had not, if he had been uh, married. And that would have been a tough marriage. Uh, That's why our Lord himself chose a single life. He had to be there for everyone. He had to give himself in a way that would not be right or appropriate to a spouse or children or family. All right, and then things kind of shift a little bit. And Paul addresses this issue of engagement. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should go ahead and get married. They should get married. Acting honorably, what does that mean? Uh, To be clear, that means that a man engaged to a woman dishonors her by having sex with her before they are married. A dishonorable kind of practice. Sex outside of marriage is not honorable. Living with your girlfriend is not honorable. It matters to God. You should think about that in terms of who are you honoring with your actions. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you should always be moving in the direction of greater honor. Greater honor for the person you profess to love. Greater honor for the Lord we profess to serve. Move it all in the direction of honor. Honoring your God. I'm not saying this as your judge. I'm not saying this is someone who's trying to rub your past history in your face or anything like that. What I'm saying is that we're not the frozen chosen here. I get that. And yet we need to let the truth speak freely and have its say in challenging our heart. And don't let the shame of your past keep you from moving in directions that are honorable now. Don't let the enemy have that power in your heart or your lives. Move things toward honor. Honor of our Lord is so important. And whatever your thing is, maybe it's been difficulty in the single life and navigating marriage. There's a whole world of ways that human beings have failed to honor the Lord our God. But I stand before you now because Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. Jesus Christ is bigger than your circumstance. And he can redeem it in a way that is going to give him great honor and glory. man who has settled the matter in his own mind, but who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Does better. Why, why is the second better? the first situation is a person who is married because they cannot control their passions. And marriage is a solution to that. The second is better, not just on merit of being single. I think the second is better because that person is under no compulsion but has control over their own will. So whatever happens, whether they are married or whether they are single, they are entering into that decision from a place of freedom that the first person does not have. Neither of them sin. But one is more clear-minded and sober in judgment. Maybe looks a little bit further down the road. Maybe looks a little bit more widely at the circumstance. I think that has to do uh, something with why that Paul would say, maybe this is better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So we'll end here this morning, wrapping up this seventh chapter of Corinthians. Jonathan, you can make your way up here. Uh, Just a couple closing comments. The Holy Spirit is not... Bestowed on the basis of marriage or singleness. And for the widow, maybe especially for widows who are older, maybe it's time to let go of the commitments and obligations of marriage, Paul is saying. And you are going to be forced to, as a widow or widower, you are going to be forced to rely on the Lord in new ways. You're free to choose. But be wise in considering the circumstance. Uh, you know, when, when a woman becomes a widow or a man becomes a widower, there is always going to be an element of a lot of pain, sadness, and loss. You miss your beloved terribly. You miss them. You miss the companionship. You face loneliness now in a way that feels overwhelming sometimes. But it also teaches you how to rely on your friendship with the Lord, companionship with the Lord. And in Jesus Christ, those years after marriage, they can also be golden in a strange kind of way. You are still able to do a lot of good for the Lord's church. One of the great untapped resources of the church today is our elderly people. So again, widowhood is not the be-all and end-all of things. It is another life circumstance that should not engross you. Uh, but the call of God and the claim of God supersedes that situation and also can help redeem it so that it is used for good and leveraged for good. Uh, so that's the sermon. I'm looking forward to this potluck. Thank you for